This Choircast podcast is brought to you by The Wages of Grace, a novel by Brandon Dragon. What is the worst thing a person could do to you that you could still forgive? The Wages of Grace is the story of two immigrant brothers, Thierry and Marty Larocque, driven apart by a shocking event in their past that still haunts them into their old age. Thierry and Hope were the fairy tale couple, but while he was away fighting in the Second World War, Hope died in the most suspect of circumstances, and the last person to see her alive was Thierry's older brother, Marty. For decades, Thierry has wrestled with the thought that his older brother is responsible for the loss of his one true love, and now the brothers find their fates intertwined once more. This novel begs the question, is there any chasm that forgiveness cannot cross, and is there any wound that grace cannot heal? The Wages of Grace is available on Amazon, Audible, and everywhere books are sold. Hey, heathens, you're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast, where religion and crime collide. I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And this shit is sadistic. The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. So everybody grab your puke buckets, hold on to your butts and trigger warning on everything. (laughs) If you know, you know where that comes from. Uh, Shout out to Education in Crime. It's either Education in Crime or Education on Crime. No, it's in Crime. Education in Crime on TikTok. They're hilarious. You should go follow them. They have the best accent. I know. She's from Kentucky. I think she's from Kentucky. 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 Fried chicken. Bring back the $5 fill-up buckets. Yeah. Yeah. In this economy, we need that. Come on. (laughs) That would be blessings on blessings. Also. I know, really. I don't know if anyone can tell by my voice, but I am... I am, I am what you call unwell, though. <laughs> in more ways than one. Just kidding. Yeah, and I'm in therapy, but also I have the crud. It's just yeah, a cold. the crud. I'm hoping it won't progress to anything worse, but no COVID. I tested myself today, so that's good. But Oh, that's great. That's good. I I started not feeling good this morning. Uh, we're recording a day earlier than we normally do because I was like, oh shit, my throat hurts and I'm presenting. So I was like, Lola, can we record tonight? She's like, I don't feel good either. We both went out this weekend. I went to my first ever Pride Festival. Which and was I never go out. Fucking amazing. I know, I don't either. And this is my first time to like go out in a big crowd. And then Lola went out. Where did you go, Lola? I went to Furnace Fest in Birmingham, Alabama. And oh my God, Derek the Heretic, follow him on Instagram. He Mm -hmm. was fucking there and I didn't get to see him. I'm so fucking mad because I would have, I would have killed to see him. The fact that he was in my city, I'm so upset. Anyway. I would have been so mad. I love it when I get to meet people in person that like (sighs) I'm mutuals with like on internet friends. Internet friends, it's so fun and it's still weird. I got recognized at Pride. One of the ladies walked by, she's like, I follow you on Instagram. And I was like, shut up. And I'm like, oh my, God. <laughs> my cheeks get all red. And I'm like, this is so weird. I was like, can I hug you? <laughs> it's like, I'm only cool online. I'm actually really know, awkward right? in person. So I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so fucking <laughs> awkward in person. It's hilarious. And then I got to meet uh, Zachary. 
Oh my gosh, I can't think of his TikTok handle. Um, but he's the one who did the billboards, uh, did the fundraising for the billboards for Bill Lee, Governor Bill Lee in Tennessee when he dressed oh. in drag when he was uh, in high school. But then they tried to ban drag. So we raised money too. <laughs> he put it all together to raise money to put it up the billboards uh, showing Bill Lee, our governor, dressed in drag. It was hilarious. I love that so much. But from far away, I just <laughs> I just heard, and I turned and I knew the voice because if you follow Zachary on TikTok, then you know his voice that you can pick it out of a crowd and I saw him from a distance and I just was like oh my gosh and I just ran to him and he ran to me and we started hugging and my husband's like who the fuck did my wife just run to wait did he know you yeah he knows me I know him but okay. Tyler had no idea what was going oh on oh my god he just saw his wife run off and hug this strange man ah uh, <laughs> it was quite hilarious. what fresh hell is this that's so <laughs> Once good. Once he heard him talk, he was like, oh, that's Zachary from TikTok. He's like, oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Ain't so, that just the way. Oh, okay. So let's get into, we are ending spooky season on a bang. And when I said, grab your pu- puke buckets and hold on to your butts and trigger warning on everything, I meant every word of it because guys, oh God, today we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer. I may start gagging. It's fine. Dude, I am telling you, I even learned a few things in my research and I thought I knew Jeffrey Dahmer pretty well. And I was like, dude, okay. you are... I was going to say, most people that are tuning in, I feel like at least 80% of them are aware of at least the name and like a couple yeah. of the crimes mm-hmm. committed. Mm-hmm. But I'm very interested. I mean, and I know this case. This is one that, yeah, you know. I just have happened upon several times. I've seen every documentary, every fictional rendition of him. Right. And I'm very interested in the religious aspects because no one really talks about it except the whole like him being converted, Mm -hmm. I think, in prison. Oh, and there's so much more. I can't wait to get into it. I really... Okay, well, I'm on the edge of my seat. Please proceed. Okay, so how I'm going to tell the story is I'm going to start from when Jeffrey's born and just go through a timeline of his events and his crimes because we all know Jeffrey Dahmer. It's no surprise. There's no hidden secret of what crimes he committed. So let me just go through the timeline. So let's start out with Jeffrey's birth. Jeffrey was born... He was born at a very young age. <laughs> he was born... <laughs> he was born on a day. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was born on May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Lionel and Joyce Dahmer. Jeffrey's childhood was very normal up until the age about four. He was seen as a very energetic and happy, spunky child. But at four, he suffered from a double hernia and had to have surgery. It's stated that the recovery from the surgery was very painful and traumatic. And his parents noticed that after his surgery and recovery, a huge change in Jeffrey. He went from being this happy, energetic, spunky boy to very subdued and docile. And they even noticed that he started to become pretty withdrawn. And it was also stated that his younger brother, when he was born, this was also another time that they noticed that Jeffrey became even more withdrawn. So that could have been something that played into it. Maybe, maybe not. We're not sure. What? (laughs) I feel like I know what a hernia is, but what is it? (laughs) You can have a herniated disc. Um, and that's, that's what I keep like thinking. The discs that's... of your spine. A hernia is like the lining of your stomach inside splits open, and like your intestines and stuff kind of come out, and so you'll have this bulge in your 
stomach oh, on the outside. So oh, then they have okay. to go in totally and sew understand. that part up. Yes. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Don't, 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 uh, we're not doctors. I did not Google it. So I'm just going to keep moving on, but I'm pretty sure it was something you can kind of have, I think you can have a hernia anywhere, but it's normally in your stomach. I don't know. Moving on before I make myself sound even stupider. Okay. <laughs> Guns <laughs> and anatomy. We don't know it. Okay. Moving on. All right. Well, by the time that Jeffrey was in the third grade, he became very interested in anatomy. He would walk through the forest around his home and collect bones from different animals that had died and decomposed. And then he would go home with these bones and spend time cleaning them and even trying to preserve some of them in jars with formaldehyde. Uh, His dad was like a scientist or something like that. So he learned a lot of like how to do this. I was just about to say, how did he get formaldehyde? Because I don't remember... He, his dad was into science. I, I should have wrote this down. I didn't, but he was into something. And so he learned a lot of this through his dad. And his dad was just like, oh my God, my son is interested in the stuff I'm interested in. <sighs> so he taught him. You're bonding, but okay. <laughs> he okay. Went, he went very far with it. So yeah, he you know, tried to preserve them in jars of formaldehyde. After some time, his interest expanded to the internal organs of these animals. So he would go collect roadkill bring it back to his small little shed um, at his family home in Ohio. And then he would spend time dissecting it in order to study. How wonderful. So he lived in Ohio at this time. I know I said he was born in Milwaukee. So I think his parents at, at some point moved to Ohio and lived there. They had a family home and I think it was called Bath, Ohio. And so that's where he is growing bath? up. Bath? So, like a bathtub? Yeah, like literally B-A-T-H, Bath, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Side note, there is a snake decomposing on my back deck. <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm not doing anything to like <laughs> prolong or like, I'm sorry, speed up this process. I just, I really wanted to uh, harvest the, what was it? I wanted the bones in it to be intact. So I didn't like touch it, but that didn't yeah. work. And the bones yeah. are all spilling out now. So I'll probably oh. just throw it all away. I thought I could do something witchy with it. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't work out the way. I'll see if any any other part of the spine is still intact. But and uh, and no, that happened with Jeffrey many times. He tried to preserve and and help these things decompose, but he fucked it up a lot because he didn't know what he was doing. I don't relate in quite the same way, but Jeff, I see you guys have that in common. (laughs) Hey, this was this was. The snake that hurt my chicken. Mm-hmm. I was exacting my revenge on it. She killed it for good purposes. Uh-huh. It was killing her baby chickens. So one time, actually in the ninth grade, when he was in science class, they decided to dissect a baby pig. And afterwards, Jeffrey thought it would be cool to take the head of the pig and just take it on home. So he just put the, <laughs> the pig head in his bag and... How did he get away with that? I don't know. I'm sorry, but do you not like one pig, two pig, three pig, four pig? Okay, they're all here. Like, how do you not, how do you not realize there is a missing pig head? I'm just thinking of a baby pig now and I'm sad. I know. (laughs) A dead baby pig. Please let it die of natural causes. I, I was just going to say, we're just going to say he died from natural causes. And then they just <sighs> took the opportunity to study and dissect it in ninth grade. <laughs> I never dissected anything except an owl pellet, which is oh. owl vomit. Yeah. I, 
I dissected a worm. What's in there? Nothing's in there. It was really, I don't really remember. And and then I ate one. <laughs> Wait, what? You ate what? So apparently, uh, Mr. We just discovered something very disturbing Mr. about both of us. I Mr. have a decomposing snake. And, and she uh, has eaten she a, worm. Ate a worm one time. Okay, it was seventh grade, and peer <laughs> pressure will make you do wild things. And Mr. Norman, our seventh grade science teacher, was fucking awesome, but also like a little out there. And he said that worms were very nutrici- nutritious, which, granted, he's probably right. And so after we dissected them, he gave all the kids in the class options to eat one if we wanted to. And because one person did it, we all had to do it because, you know, if one person jumps off the bridge, we're all going to. And so I ate a worm. I was never of that mindset. I did not follow in suit. (laughs) Well, the funnier part is when I got older and had kids, I told my kids that I had ate a worm one time because it's it's a funny story, you know? Yeah. But then my... One of my kids went to school last year. She was in kindergarten and decided to tell her friends that her mommy ate a worm. And so then I had one of the parents texting me <laughs> saying, Oh my, my God. Kid, my kid said you like the way worms taste. <laughs> and so I had to explain. How to did her. that conversation pan out? <laughs> it was quite hilarious. Uh, thankfully, it was a mom that like we're, I was really close to. But yeah, her daughter came home and was like, Lacey, <laughs> Lacey, Lacey the way worms taste oh god also i've just created a septum ring out of tissue (laughs) yeah she has she looks so hot right now guys so hot (laughs) okay we just went on a major tangent sorry there guys anyways we are going to jump back in so he took the baby pig's head home and he cleaned it and kept it because he's jeffrey Dahmer. all right well by the time that jeffrey hit his teens He had basically become completely disengaged from all of his peers and he had little to absolutely probably no friends. At the age of 13 is when Jeffrey realized that he was gay, um, but he wasn't able to come out because his parents, he knew his parents were not going to accept it because Jeffrey grew up in a Christian household. Jeffrey had gone to church and was even a Christian himself. Uh, And so like, I don't know if his parents were really like devout or anything, but his grandma, who was like a big part of his life growing up and even later on in life, she was a Christian. And so like he went to church, he did all the things. Like, Were they like Baptist, Church of Christ? What were they? I think that she was Pentecostal. Gotcha. I have to remember. I talk about her more later on, but yeah. Third. So he knew that it was not going to be accepted. And so he couldn't come out, but he did end up at 14 experimenting with another boy in his neighborhood. They, and like, I know this is Jeffrey Dahmer, but okay, this is really cute. They went into a treehouse together and they spent some time kissing and cuddling, which, oh my gosh, cute, but. That's really sweet. I know. I was like, oh, but you're Jeffrey Dahmer. But you're Jeffrey Dahmer, so fuck off. Um, Also around this time, Jeffrey says that he started to have (sighs) necrophilia and murder fantasies at 13, 14. Okay. Like, that's not, that's not normal, guys. That's just not normal. Okay. I I need to know, like, where he was introduced to this at. I don't know. Were there books, movies? I really don't know. And he doesn't talk about it. What kid gets into that kind of thing? I didn't even learn about what necrophilia was. I didn't know it it was even a possibility that anyone would ever do that until I was like 
18. Right. The only thing I can think of is that he was so interested in dead animals and he spent so much time like collecting bones and collecting roadkill and dissecting them and doing all that stuff that death was very much normalized to him from a very early age. And it muddled with his puberty. And then he went through puberty and those kind of just meshed into this. Oh, it's like Tito and Bob's Burgers. Oh my God. (laughs) The zombies and the butt touching. Oh my God. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, you know what? We'll link it below in the in the description. You'll have to link me a clip. She does this a lot for me. You know, she keeps me young here, guys. <laughs> so <laughs> growing up, uh, Jeffrey's parents fought many times. Uh, they were constantly bickering. And this caused a lot of tension in the household. It wasn't like domestic violence type situations. He said that he did see his mom hit his dad, like when they'd be arguing, you know, like she'd slap him, which not okay, but it wasn't like major domestic violence. But still that caused a lot of tension um, and it made Jeffrey feel very uncomfortable throughout his entire, you know, childhood and teen years. When uh, his mom and dad decided to finally get a divorce when Jeffrey was 18 years old. And when this happened, the mom actually kicked the dad out of the house and he was forced to stay in a hotel. But then out of nowhere, one day, Jeffrey's mom just ups and leaves with her, the, his little brother and just leaves Jeffrey to live in the family home by himself all alone. And he never spoke to his mom again after this or saw her. See, I don't understand this, this whole part where she takes the one and leaves the other. Yeah. Well, he was 18. So it was like, you can do your own thing by, but just like never talks to him. So to me, there's more that we just don't know about his relationship with her and her as a person. Um, she's not really talked about besides they bicker. I was going to say, did anyone ever talk with her about it? Because... Mm-hmm. Never saw any interviews with her. She never came out in public or anything. I I couldn't find anything about her. Not to say there's nothing out there, but I did not come across anything. Um, everything that I came across was mainly from Lionel, his dad. So he was very like front and center in Jeffrey's life. So yeah, at 18, Jeffrey's living in this home all by himself. Um, And he said that after his mom left, it made him feel very lonely, depressed, and confused. Rightfully so. I would have felt the same way. Also, around 18, um, he started having fantasies about having sex with someone who was totally submissive to him. He did not want to take into consideration their wants, needs, or desires. He wanted to be in full control and he wanted them to be fully submissive to him. So there was a young man that would always jog by Jeffrey's home shirtless. Jeffrey was highly attracted to a well-toned male physique, like the torso. He had a, he had a thing for the torso and well-defined muscular. Oh, that's so gross. Yes. <laughs> it's not gross. That's like... Kind of normal. But just knowing where he takes it. It's normal, except you know where he takes it. So it's like, it just puts it in this creepy. If you didn't know where he took it, you'd be like, okay, you know, that's what you like. I can't look at abs the same way (laughs) when I have Dahmer on the brain. Right, you can't. You really can't. Well, this guy would run by shirtless. And he, of course, as a runner, had a very well-toned body. And Jeffrey was highly attracted to this man. And he wanted him. Not just he wanted him, he needed him. But 
But Jeffrey has no personal skills, no people skills, and he doesn't know how to approach this guy. So he comes up with a plan and he decides that one day while the guy is running by, he's just going to jump out of a bush and knock him unconscious. That's how you make friends, kids. That's how you make friends. (laughs) Also, I thought you were going to say, now he has no personality instead of no personal skills. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Yeah, that too, you know. Debatable, right always debatable for sure. Yeah, right. My God. Now his plan after he knocks the man unconscious was to rape him, cuddle him, explore his body and more. Yeah, that was that was his plan. Yep, not kidding. That's exactly what he said. Jeff, you could have, so many things could have been different about this. But so okay. many. So one day he hid behind a tree um, and ready to just like enact this plan. And he waited for a long time. But unfortunately, the jogger never ran by that day. So Jeffrey just abandoned the plan. I just have to say, can you imagine being that person when all of this comes out and this comes to light? And you're like, holy fuck. I was almost Jeffrey. I'd never run again. I wouldn't either. Only on a I'd never go outside again. In my garage with doors locked, air is for dead people. Fresh air is for dead people. That's what, that's what, uh, you know what? I think that's where this is where the whole fitness gone downhill <laughs> stemmed from. It was all from right. Dahmer, Girl, just like exactly, everyone gave exactly. up on running because of him. <laughs> also, that fresh air is for dead people. Uh, I don't, I, I always hear Ash and Elena say it. In their oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, also around this time, Jeffrey ends up killing his first victim. On June 18th, 1819, sorry, not 18. We ain't going that far back. 1978, just three weeks after Jeffrey's high school graduation, he sees a shirtless hitchhiker named Stephen Hicks, who is also 18. And he decides to pull over and offer him a ride. Stephen was actually on his way to a concert, but Jeffrey told him, hey man, I got some beer. I got some marijuana. You wanna come hang out at my house? And the guy's like, Fuck yeah, free beer, free marijuana. Let's do this. So he went back to uh, Jeffrey's house. When they got there, they smoked and drank uh, for a while. But Jeffrey said that he quickly realized that Stephen was not gay. He could just kind of get the vibe that he was not, you know, he was a heterosexual man. So did he know that the runner was gay? uh, No, no. He just decided to take inventory of that now. Yeah, yeah, no. So he decided that when the man was like, not the man, Stephen, he's a boy, he's not a man. When Stephen said, hey, I need to go, like people are going to start wondering where I'm at. Jeffrey didn't want to let him leave. He was like, no, I need you to stay. And so he took a barbell from one of his weight sets and just clunked Steve over the head, knocking him out. And then he used the barbell to strangle him to death because he wanted to leave. Like I said, no personal skills. It's not really the cream of the crop here. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I bottom mean. of the totem pill and then um, six feet under. It. He literally just wanted to leave and Jeffrey's like, I have to have you and I have these urges and so I'm just going to kill you. So I don't he get did. it. Consent just didn't exist in this person's mind, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you from now on, when we go into this, I'm going to get into some graphic detail with the murders. So just like I said... Tune out now if you must or skip like 40 minutes ahead. Exactly. Trigger warning on everything. (laughs) Jeffrey then proceeded to masturbate to the body parts before dismembering Stephen. Not only did he... 
I know. I don't know how he did it. I really don't want to know. I don't okay. want to know. And so that's Maybe as far not. as I went because I was like, I don't want to know. <laughs> it just said he masturbated to the body parts. That's all. That's as far as I'm going. Uh, not only did he dismember him, but he also cut out multiple orga- organs, including the liver and the heart. Now it gets a little confusing on the series of events that happened after Stephen was killed. Jeffrey says that the body was with him in the house for about six hours before he put him in the crawl space. But then we know at 3 a.m., Jeffrey left the home with the dismembered body in trash bags in his car, trying to go dump the body at a ravine. So I'm not sure if he put the body in the crawl space and then pulled it back out to dismember it and then put it in the bags or if he dismembered it, put it in the bags and put it in the crawl space. Honestly, it's just technicalities. But somehow the body was in the crawl space and then it got dismembered and he did creepy shit with it. But he needs to get rid of this body. This is still not his home. It's his family home. So like, even though his mom doesn't live there, people could really show up. So he's like, okay, I got to get rid of this. So he leaves the house at 3 a.m. with the body in trash bags in the back of the car. But while he was driving, he crossed over the median line and a cop stopped him. The cop seized the trash bags in the back seat, and Jeffrey just told him like, oh, my parents are going through a divorce. I can't sleep. I'm going through some hard stuff. So I just thought I'd go dump the trash at 3 a.m. And the cop was like, okay, have a good night. Bye. That's got to be a good bit of trash or uh-huh. like trash bags. Right. And I, I can understand black trash bags. You probably don't see the blood. It's at night. But like, you just believe this 18-year-old boy was like, I'm just throwing some trash out at 3 a.m. And was he even going in the direction of a landfill? Or like... I don't know. That's a good question. Come on, boy. That Of all the excuses to give, that's the most abstract one that but I... It, but it worked. Okay, effective. Stupid ass law yeah, enforcement. Yeah, no, it was... A, it, Stupidly effective, uh, but he was scared. So he ended up not going to the ravine. He took the bags back home. Now, I, from what I can understand, he took some of the body parts and some of the things that he used to dismember the body and shoved them in a, into a two-foot galvanized pipe and then took that and threw it into a ravine or river of some sort. And then he took the rest of the body parts and spread them across the woods where he lived and buried them. Now, years later, he comes back, exhumes the remains that he had buried of Stephen, and then crushes the bones with a sledgehammer and then scatters them among the woods. Wow. He went the extra mile on that one. I was going to say, that's extra credit work that we didn't need. We didn't need it. Nobody asked for it. No points given. He did it. No points given. So after this murder, uh, Jeffrey's father, Lionel, and his stepmom realized that Jeffrey had been living alone at their family home for some time. And they were really worried about him because when they went to go check on him, there were beer bottles and alcohol bottles everywhere. Jeffrey had started drinking sometime before this, like when he was in his teens. And over the years, it just got worse and worse and worse. My assumption is with him having these desires and fantasies and this kind of just like internal struggle. Drinking was a way for him to either numb it or try to feel something or a combination of the two. Trying to numb his desires and fantasies while also trying to feel some kind of actual normal emotion. Both is probably valid. I guess. Plus on top of it, he feels like nobody really cares about him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
yeah. they've abandoned him. And yeah. he's probably not thinking about his own welfare or like anything like that. He's just like, fuck it, we ball. Yeah. But in the worst way possible. In the worst way possible. Yeah. So his parents, uh, well, not his parents, his dad and his stepmom actually moved back into the home to try to kind of help Jeffrey get back on the right track. Now, even though Jeffrey had these murderous and necrophilic fantasies, the murder of Stephen really got to him and he actually contemplated confessing multiple times. But he just said, okay, I don't want this to ever happen again. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to hold back the desires and try to fight the urges and not actually confess because then my life would be over. So he's basically like trying to get his life on track of some sorts. Now, he ends up going to Ohio State University, but he dropped out after just a quarter of a semester. So like he lasted a few weeks and he was like, I can't do this. And Lionel knew that Jeffrey needed help. So he insisted that Jeffrey join the army. Very common if you see, a, you know, especially back in these days. This is not the solution to everyone's not, problems. <laughs> I agree. Thousand percent not the solution because in normal cases, it just like causes more problems. But back in this time, in like the 70s and 80s, that, that was their solution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> join the military, it'll straighten you out. So yeah, he did. In December of 1978, Jeffrey enlisted. And after just a little while, he was stationed in Germany. And then later, uh, he stated that during his time in the military was actually when he learned how to identify the organs in a human body. How? Uh, why? I don't know. I don't know. That's 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 all I could find out. So what he did in Germany, who the fuck knows? But he was able to now identify the organs in a human body. Yay! Uh, <laughs> right? It's uh, like the unfor- pig all over again. Uh, yeah. Now, unfortunately, his drinking persis- persisted while he was in the military. And this actually led to him being discharged in 1981 for disorderly conduct. So he only lasted about three years. Now, from my research, I did find a few stories of Jeffrey abusing a few of his fellow soldiers while he was in Germany, but none of it was verified. And some news articles state that he committed no crimes while he was overseas. So I find that hard to believe, but also like he did go through stretches later in his life of no crimes. So could, could not, you make your own opinion on that one. Now, after being discharged from the military, Jeffrey moved back to the family home in Ohio. His drinking continued, and he was actually arrested for drunken disorderly conduct, where he was fined and received a suspended jail sentence. So I had to look this up. So basically, a suspended jail sentence. I have no idea what that is. I did did not either. So I had to to go to the Googler. Um, It just means that you have a jail, you, you don't, you have a sentence, but it's suspended. So you get like probationary time during that time. And if you spend, if you do your probationary period and follow all the rules set in place, then you don't actually spend any time behind bars. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Get it? Okay. All right. Cool. So he had a suspended sentence for that. I don't know how long he got. I couldn't find that. But Lionel, Jeffrey's father, thought that it might be best for Jeffrey to go live with his grandma in Wisconsin. He was close with his grandma. His grandma was a good Protestant Christian lady. So like, maybe this will help Jeffrey. 
So like I said, she was a Protestant Christian. She was wonderful, loving, and a supportive person whom Jeffrey loved dearly. Uh, for some reason, they had a very close relationship. And I think he actually like respected her. I don't know why it was so hard for him to connect to other people. But for some reason, he very much loved his grandma. I, I don't know why. I don't know how. But they had a pretty good relationship. I bet she was more of a mother than his own mother. You know? That, you know what? You're probably right. Because his mom was kind of a bitch. You know, she abandoned him at 18. So like, I can say that. And I don't she was very unwell. She was. I'm going to go out on a limb and agree with that one. But yeah, I think she was the only mother figure that he had. And so you're right. I didn't even think about that. So he knew that his grandma being a Protestant Christian, she was not going to agree or be affirming of his sexuality if he came out. So he hid it. And he also knew that the sexual, like sadistic sexual desires he had were wrong. So he decided he was going to do anything and everything he could to change that and like squash his sexuality and his urges. In order to do this, he started going back to church with his grandma. So before he gets into his like murder spree, he is back in church. Not only is he back in church, he is studying the Bible, Lola. Studying from from cover to cover. He is desperately trying to, quote, fix himself. He's basically trying to pray to get away. Like we know. That's so that sad. That doesn't work. It's That's... so sad. I I honestly wonder if he was... Okay, the necrophilia, not okay, right? No. But like, no. there are people who have rape fantasies that are consensual sexual encounters. And there is BDSM that is a spectrum of sexual, consensual sexual uh, encounters and things. Uh-huh. So I just wonder like how different life would have been for him if he would have been able to be in a home that was affirming and in a relationship where sexuality was not taboo or these desires were not taboo. Of sorts. Now, necrophilia, that's a whole other thing. So, like, sorry. Of course. Of <laughs> course. Rough, you know, like, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But no, I, just wonder, I think there's a lot of weight to that, too. I, I feel like yeah. with a lot of the killers that we deal with that, you know, had fantasies or uh, desires that didn't align with heterosexual agendas mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and uh, ideals. Right. Yeah. I think that was a disservice to them it probably was a major factor, but not the whole equation for sure. Exactly. Now, could it have, am I saying that it could have stopped him from becoming who Jeffrey Dahmer was? No. Could it have helped? Yeah. Could it have saved a few victims? Maybe. You know, I just wonder what 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 could it have been like? What would it have changed? What would it have not changed? Would it have helped? You know, we just never know. So I just, I just have to ask. I wonder oh, those yeah. things. Now, as much as he was trying to like tamper down these urges, they were still very prevalent. Uh, so one day while Jeffrey was at the mall, he saw a well-toned mannequin that he just <laughs> absolutely wanted. And so he decided to hide in the mall until after closing. And then he stole it and brought it back home. <laughs> he would take this mannequin and he would dress it up and then undress it and it was basically his way of trying to use the mannequin as a like stand-in for a real human and his hope was that this would 
lessen the urges or it like fulfill them in a way. Yeah, no, it didn't work at all whatsoever. It's not fleshy. It's plastic. It's not a human. (laughs) Yeah. And unfortunately, like he could, he just could never recreate that satisfaction that he got when he murdered and dismembered Stephen Hicks. God. God. I know. I know. So during this time, while Jeffrey is struggling, he was at a library when a man slipped a note to him asking him that if he, if he wanted to go to the bathroom and the man would give him a blowjob. He wasn't offering money. It was just like a, hey, you want to have a little hookup in the bathroom? Uh, Jeffrey declined and he claimed that this was the devil tempting him. But unfortunately, uh, it kind of steamrolled his sexual and sadistic fantasies. It was kind of like, oh, there are men out there that want to have a sexual relationship with me or that I could have a sexual relationship with. So even though he declined it in the moment, it kind of opened the door to, oh, maybe this is a, maybe this is something I can actually step into. Uh, Valid, but misled. (laughs) Misled. Misled. Misled in a great way. Oh, I am nervous. (laughs) I know, I know. In August of 1982, uh, Jeffrey was charged with indecent exposure at a Wisconsin state fair. He was convicted and then later fined $50. During this time, Jeffrey started drinking again and going to gay bars. He had given up resisting his sexual desires. He was just like, whatever, I'm done. I bet grandma was mad. Yeah. Or also, well, she didn't know he kept it from her. She had no oh. idea. She, she just, she, we'll talk about that. Hold on. It'll come up. Uh, in the 1980s, they had these things called bathhouses, which we kind of talked about a little bit in the last episode. But the bathhouses that we're referring to are for gay men. And they were basically a place that gay men could go and meet other gay men and then have sex if you wanted to. These men would walk in, walk around naked. If you saw something you liked, you talked to him, maybe you had sex, maybe you didn't. It was very sexually freeing place. And it was a place for gay people in the community to feel safe and enact or, or act on their sexual desires without any shame or stigmatization. Stig, stig, stigmatization. <laughs> uh, is, sti- is that a stigma? Stigma? Is that a new stigma? <laughs> Oh gosh, we're on a roll tonight, guys. Pigmentation. Hyperpigmentation, stigmatation. You get it. You follow me. Okay. They could now, go to a judgment free place. Exactly. And, and they could have all the sex they wanted. Well, Jeffrey started going to these bathhouses and he liked it, but he didn't like that he didn't have full control over his partner. He didn't like that his partner could just get up and leave when they wanted. He didn't like that it would just end. He was like, I, I'm not done. And so he, he decided to start drugging all the men that he was going to sleep with so that they couldn't leave and that he could just do what he wanted when he wanted and he didn't have to take into consideration their sexual wants, needs, desires, any of it. Yeah. He He's giving frat boy. You left college. Yeah. Right. Yes. You left very college. much. Leave it be. Like, dr- drugging their drinks. He would drug them uh, with sleeping pills and he'd put them in their drinks um, until they passed out. <laughs> you said passed out. <laughs> Unfortunately, one time Jeffrey accidentally overdrugged somebody and the owner of the bathhouse had to actually call for medical help 
Now, it got around very quickly to all the other bathhouses that Jeffrey was drugging men and it became very well known. And when this was reported to the police, the police just said, like, don't allow him in the facilities. These men were raped, but the police didn't believe that men could be raped. And so they were just like, what do you want us to do about it? Just don't let him on your property. It's like, okay, thanks. It's kind of hard to enforce, though. Yeah. Especially if there's a lot of men there. It's hard to keep eyes on everybody, you know? Yeah, I think they did have, like, security, like, bouncers, like, at clubs and stuff, you know? They had that kind of security at them. And so he knew that since it had gotten around that that, he couldn't go to bathhouses anymore. So he actually just stopped going. He was like, okay, I've been late. I can't go there. So he did stop. Now, in August of 1986, two boys accused Jeffrey of masturbating in front of them, and he was charged with indecent exposure. At first, Jeffrey confessed to it, but then changed it and said that he was just peeing and didn't know the boys were around. So why did you confess? I'm sorry. I highly doubt this was one of those interrogations that lasts like 12 hours where you confess to anything, kind of, yeah. Yeah, well, he did receive a one-year probation and mandatory counseling. Unfortunately, on November 20th, 1987, Stephen Toomey and Jeffrey Dahmer checked into a hotel together. That night, they drank a lot and got plastered. And the next thing that Jeffrey knew, he was waking up and Stephen was in the bed, dead next to him, and he had no memory of what happened or how he murdered him. Oh, God. Yeah, he just woke up, and there he is, dead. So I think that he was able to kind of figure out, based off the marks on Stephen's remains, that he actually killed Stephen by punching him over and over again in his chest. And this really freaked Jeffrey out because he truly, honestly, did not remember this murder. And he knew that his desires and murderous fantasies and stuff were so deeply ingrained into him that even blackout drunk, he he would commit these murders. And so it was something that catapulted him into committing all of the other crimes that we're going to talk about. So in order to deal with the dead body beside him in the bed, Jeffrey leaves and gets a trunk, brings it back and stuffs Stephen's remains inside of it. He then leaves the hotel in a taxi cab and takes Stephen's body back to uh, his grandma's house. Now, the taxi driver, when he was loading the trunk, actually said like to Jeffrey, man, you must have a dead body in here because the trunk was so heavy. <laughs> and he did! He did! How many times have you picked up something that was heavy and said that exact same thing? I have never actually, and I've never heard anyone in real life say that. Really? I have. It's not happened. Maybe I just (laughs) ran. Maybe maybe it's a common saying and I just like my family and like people that I associate with have not phrased it in front of me, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've heard it in movies though. Yeah, or maybe I'm trying to think of like ways that I've said it or like I pick up something that's super heavy and I'm like, God, this is as heavy as a dead body, or I don't know. Maybe I, I say don't it's say that as heavy as bricks. I'm like, yeah, 
this feels like a bunch of bricks in here or like something like that. Yeah, maybe I don't use it. I just hear about it all the time in cases. I don't know. Or I'm just really weird and I meet weird people that say it. That's fine. <laughs> either way, either way. The taxi you driver really said it, it to though. Jeffrey. And there really was a dead body in the trunk. Now, back at his grandmother's house, uh, he dismembered Stephen's body, masturbated with the severed body parts, and then disposed of the remains in a dumpster, except for the head. He decided to keep the head for a few weeks and wrapped it in a blanket. I think he was trying to preserve it, but he didn't preserve it correctly. Um, And so then I think he ended up uh, disposing of the head eventually. Uh, Jeffrey says that after this murder, his, quote, obsession went into full swing, end quote. Now he's referring to murder. Um, And instead of him trying to fight it off, he just embraced it fully. And he actually had a religious, like, deconversion and then just kept going. So he started to believe that the devil was the one who had like put these desires and evil fantasies in his mind and body and that it was his mission and purpose to carry out the devil's evil plan in this way. Oh, okay. So he went like, instead of Christian, he went full Satanist kind of thing, but not in the way that actual Satanist. No. Yeah, exactly. A devilist. I don't know. (laughs) Right? It was hard for me to like, (gasps) Yes, it was a deconversion. What? Is he a deviled egg? What does that mean? I'm so... Is he the bad egg? The deviled egg? <laughs> he's a bad egg. And so he's a deviled egg. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. How do you come up I, with this stuff? Listen, I saw the opportunity and I fucking took you it. You did take it. And my ass is over here like, What? <laughs> He's a bad egg and he follows the devil's agenda. So he's a deviled egg. He's a deviled egg. What was it? The Duggars? They wouldn't call them. They yeah. wouldn't call them deviled eggs. What do they call them? Angel eggs or something like that? Yeah. So Jeffrey has gone in a full, just, I don't even know what the fuck to call it. A deconverted Satan. He's not even Satan worshiping. He's just like, fuck it. I'm evil and let's just run with this. All right, devil, I'll do your thing. So. Here he goes in full swing. So I'm just going to kind of go through a list of his victims. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about each one. Some of them will go into more in depth, but hold on to your butts, babies. (laughs) Grabbing bucket as we speak. Hold on to your diapers, babies. We're going in. Please tell me you know that reference. No. What is it? It's from Rugrats, the movie. I never, never saw that movie, Rugrats. but I have a Rugrats beach towel. I love Rugrats. <gasps> like, I remember that the, show. You gotta watch the movie. Tommy, I think they're like in the dinosaur and he's like, hold on to your diapers, babies. We're going in. <laughs> I know. That's why. <laughs> we are off the rails. Tonight. I'll get on that. Okay. I'll, ASAP, right, I'll get go. on that. I'll send you a clip. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, anyways. Okay. Uh, on January 16th, 1988, Jamie Doxter, I'm going to pronounce some of these names wrong. I am so sorry. I'm doing That's my fine. best. All right. Um, at the age of 14, met Jeffrey outside of a gay bar. He offered Jeffrey sex for $50. Jeffrey then took Jamie back to his grandma's house where he drugged him, strangled him, and sexually assaulted him. Jeffrey kept his body in the fruit cellar for a week. And when he was alone in the home, he would bring the body out 
and inside the home and they'd be fucking weird with it. Okay. You get the picture. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. Then, so that was in January of 1988. Then on March 24th, 1988, 25-year-old Richard Guerrero was drugged with sleeping pills after him and Jerry, Jeffrey, Jerry, Jeffrey had oral sex. He was then strangled, dismembered, and assaulted. Later on that year in 1988, Jeffrey's grandma actually kicks him out of her house. She Ooh. said that she was sick of his drinking and him bringing home young men and the foul smells that would occasionally uh, waft up from the basement. She apparently oh, <laughs> didn't know about his crimes and said that she just really didn't want to know what was going on in the basement. I think she suspected that Jeffrey was gay, but she just like didn't want to like confirm it. And so she just continued Probably. on with life sticking her head in the sand and was just like, I can't have it in my house anymore. Like I've tried yeah. to deal with this as long as I can and just like let you be, but I need you out. It was basically like the ignorance is bliss. Is it really though? It's, it's not. Not for, <laughs> not in this scenario. <sighs> Now, in 1989, uh, Jeffrey lured a 13-year-old, I'm going to say this wrong, but Lohatian boy to his home claiming that he wanted to take naked photos of him and offered him $50 in exchange. When they arrived, Jeffrey drugged him with sleeping pills, but the boy quickly started to feel uncomfortable and kind of nauseous, and so he decided to leave. Jeffrey said he didn't have a knife or any kind of weapon, and so he just let the boy leave. When the boy got home, it was very clear to his parents that something was very wrong because he couldn't like communicate clearly. And so they were like, you've been drugged or something's happened. So they took him to the hospital where it was confirmed that he had been drugged. Now, since the boy could identify Jeffrey and where Jeffrey lived, Jeffrey was actually charged with sexual exploitation and second-degree sexual assault. Finally. He it, yeah, well, it does no good. I'm going to be no. honest. It does no good. Uh, nope. He pled guilty, but said that the boy looked older than 13. Yeah, right. Okay, I believe that. Now, because of this assault, he was made to see chief psychologist uh, of the Department of Corrections while he was awaiting his sentencing. Now, the psychologist said that Jeffrey was very guarded, angry, and super uncooperative. Many times Jeffrey would show up late to his appointment, hoping that he'd be so late that he'd miss his appointment and not have to do it. During the evaluations, he sat and just stared coldly at the doctor. And based off of all of this and the evaluations the doctor did, he said that Jeffrey was the type of person who used people and saw them as objects. He also stated that Jeffrey doesn't have the capacity for empathy and said he was too dangerous to be out in the community and needed to be incarcerated. This psychologist, psychologist, psychiatrist, either one, literally said, Jeffrey Dahmer is dangerous to our society. Lock that motherfucker up. Do you want to know what they did? And I just want you to keep in mind what what the psychologist said, because there's actually another victim before he gets his sentencing, okay? So this motherfucker is taking no time off, all right? On March 24th, 1989, while 
He's waiting to be sentenced. He met 26-year-old Anthony Sears at a gay bar. At the end of the night, Jeffrey, Anthony, and Anthony's friend went out to breakfast, and then Jeffrey had the friend drop him and Anthony off at an intersection near his grandma's home. He took him to his grandmother's basement where he drugged him, strangled him, sodomized him, photographed him, and dismembered him. After the dismemberment, Jeffrey said he didn't want to lose Anthony, so he tried to preserve different body parts of Anthony, even going so far as to preserving his head and his genitals in a jar of acetone. Acetone doesn't preserve, does it? Don't fucking ask me. I don't know. As a cosmetologist, I feel like I should... No, it doesn't. No, it couldn't preserve anything. I wouldn't think so, but it did something. Probably slowed down decay, but there's no way. That's crazy. That's fucking crazy. I didn't know he used acetone. He kept his dick in a jar. He kept his dick in a jar. He put a dick in a jar. He put a dick. It gets worse. Jar dicks. No, that's horrifying. Now, due to Anthony's friend being the last one to see Anthony alive, he did become this prime suspect. And many close to him did suspect that he had done something to Anthony. This is one of the people I felt so bad for doing my research because it takes a few years for the truth to come out. And he had to face that public suspicion for so long. And he knew, like, I didn't fucking do anything. And even after it's confirmed that they didn't do anything... It's so often that suspects are still like villainized, mm-hmm. you know, like they are. Yeah. even after they're cleared, it's just yeah, exactly. It's hard to and get in, it out of the public's mind. In this case, mind you, Jeffrey has already been charged with indecent exposure. He has the like sexual exploitation charge, and literally, uh, the friend told the cops where he dropped Anthony and Jeffrey off at. So why didn't they search all the houses and those who lived in the homes within a good like handful of blocks or mile radius because they would have come across Jeffrey and they would have done a background and quickly seen that he has these charges. The police work throughout Dahmer's entire like young life is just uh, very lacking. (laughs) They were, oh, and because a lot of these men were gay. And I will get into more of that later on, but I swear to God, these motherfuckers, they were some sons of bitches, so I gotta say. Okay, so now we're gonna go on to his sentencing on May 23rd, 1989. So this is just a couple of months after he killed Anthony. Uh, Jeffrey, at his sentencing trial uh, for the case for the 13-year-old boy, he was able to convince the judge that he had seen the error of his ways and he only got a one-year Work release. I remember that. Yeah. Motherfucking mother, mother work release. He yeah. has the evaluation by the psychologist that says, this man is fucking dangerous. Lock him the fuck up. There wasn't a lot of weight put into like mental health no. at the time. No. So I feel like maybe that's why it was just kind of like discarded. Probably. You're probably right. And it's like, I... I swear. But not only 
Did they not give him any jail time, like adequate jail time? They gave him a work release. So that meant he could go to his job at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. That's where he worked. And during the day, and then he would just come to the jail and sleep there at night. Yeah. He didn't really have but, to serve. <laughs> now, remember, he has the, the the head and the and the genitals in a jar. Oh, yeah. He, he doesn't want to keep him at his grandma's house because he's like, I do not want her stumbling across them. So he took them to work and put them in his fucking locker. Who raised you? What? <laughs> Lionel enjoys that series. Lionel, I, Lionel, I am, I am. They, you thought they were safer at your work? What? Why didn't you put them in a box and bury them in the forest or something? and draw a fucking map. I, you took him to your work and put him in a fucking uh, locker? What? Huh? what? I was going to mm. say, he has coworkers that have lockers next to him, most likely, that maybe clock out or clock in at the same time, where lockers are open at the same time. It seems like more of a risk, especially if she uh, maybe was not as mobile, like if his grandma wasn't as mobile and like wouldn't go downstairs. Yeah, I think she would go. I think she was able to walk the whole the whole time. She just stayed out of the basement, especially when he was there. And so he was just like, no, I can't let her accidentally stumble. Well, upon he's him. always got to be in control. So this really does track. He does. For him. It does. It does track. It does track when, it, when, you, when you put it that way. So... Now, during his prison stay, uh, Lionel, his father, wrote a letter to the court requesting psychological help before his son was paroled. He he was out here like, so I was fucked up with my son. Can you help? And unfortunately, they just paroled Jeffrey early and he only spent 10 months in prison and got no help. Yay, our justice system is awesome. <laughs> and I can't say, like, maybe it's gotten a tiny bit better, but like, honestly, it hasn't even gotten that much better since the 70s and 80s. No, it works exactly the way it was intended for modernized yeah. slavery. Actually, yeah. not, Amen. It's not for rehabilitation. This is my hot take of the century. A thousand percent. A it's thousand not to percent. make anyone better or to bring justice to families. It's, <laughs> it's exactly. just modernized slavery. When we talked about the Lucas Leonard case, Crystal said, I want rehabilitation for Sarah and for all of the other people uh-huh. who were arrested and charged. Like we need rehabilitation and our jails aren't doing that for them. That is the whole purpose, especially in cases like that. Jeffrey, he can't be fucking rehabilitated. I mean, cut his dick off and put it in an acetone jar. <laughs> Just saying. Jar dicks, jar dicks. <laughs> <laughs> For every murderer, oh, <laughs> we just preserve the dick. For <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, that's what half of them thought with anyway. They didn't use their brain; they used their dick. Oh, all the time, all the time. Now, after his release, he got paroled early. Uh, he went and stayed with his grandma for just a little while before moving into apartment 213 at the Oxford Apartments in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. Now, one neighbor said he met Jeffrey and he actually liked him. He stated that Jeffrey seemed like a clean-cut, nice and friendly guy. 
He even said that Jeffrey had a soft heart because one time this guy asked Jeffrey for $20 so he could buy his sister a wedding present because he was struggling financially at the time. And he just asked to borrow $20, but Jeffrey gave him $60, told him, buy your sister something nice and don't pay me back. And so he's like, Jeffrey's a great guy. Meanwhile, he's a dick in a jar. You know, you abusive people can do yeah. good things. And good people can do abusive things. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. My brain was still stuck on, he has a dick in a jar. <laughs> I can't that's get okay. over that. <laughs> she, she's stuck on the jar. The acetone fumes are getting to her. Right, yeah, I'm stuck, I'm stuck on the jar. They are. Well, on November 20th, in 1990, 33-year-old Raymond Smith, commonly known as Ricky Beeks, was a prostitute who uh, was lured to Jeffrey's apartment for sex in exchange for money. At the apartment, Jeffrey drugged him with sleeping pills, strangled him, took photos of his dead body in suggestive positions, and then dismembered him. We can basically say that for probably most likely all of his victims. They were drugged, strangled, took photos of his dead body in suggestive positions, then dismembered and also photographed again. And he did weird, creepy sexual shit with the bodies. That's pretty much every one of his victims. Um, Unfortunately, Ricky left behind a 10-year-old child. Now, since Jeffrey is living in an apartment now, and this is his first victim in an apartment, he needed to come up with some different ways to get rid of the bodies. So after dismembering them, he would clean off the bones, keep many of them, but those that he didn't want to keep, he would dissolve in huge barrels of muriatic acid. And then the skin and organs, he would actually boil them in an 80-pound or 80-gallon kettle that he bought. He just boiled them on the stove. For what end? To just boil them, to just try to... To just boil them? So he wasn't eating these? No, we we haven't haven't got there quite yet. Right now, he's just trying to get rid of the body. So I think he would boil them until they were liquid and he could like... I'm assuming flush them down the down toilet. the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. along those lines. Now, um, in June of 1990, now, mind you, his last victim was in May. Now we're going to June. So he's escalating his time in between his victims. 28-year-old Edward Smith was lured back to Jeffrey's home where he was drugged, strangled, assaulted, and dismembered. By this time, Jeffrey had started trying to preserve the skulls of many of his victims. But unfortunately, well, not even, I don't even know, unfortunately, while trying to preserve Edward's skull, it actually exploded in the oven. And Jeffrey actually says later on that he felt like this murder was a waste because he was unable to preserve anything from Edward's remains. I could just <laughs> slap him. Silly. That, that You didn't get to keep his school, so it was a waste? It's like, I, <laughs> oh, woe is me. me. I, right. Woe is me. Yes. And like the psychologist said, he has no grid for empathy. He has no ability to have empathy at all. Gross. And Mad gross. Sick. Mm-hmm. In September of 1990, 22-year-old Ernest Miller, who was an aspiring professional dancer and was set to start classes at an art school in Chicago, met Jeffrey outside of a bookstore. Jeffrey offered him $50 in exchange for sex and Ernest agreed. They went back to Jeffrey's apartment and had sex, but Jeffrey then drugged him and slit his throat. Not sure why he veered off of his normal, but that's how he 
ended up killing Ernest. He kept Ernest's biceps in the freezer, uh, painted his skull, and also bleached his skeleton. I hate this more and more. I already know these things happened, but it's still just as jarring. It is so fucking jarring. Every time I come across his story. We're only at the eighth victim. Wow. Uh, on September 24th, 1990, 23-year-old David Thomas was Jeffrey's ninth victim. I couldn't find out how exactly he had died, but we can assume that he was lured back to Jeffrey's apartment for some kind of reason, either in exchange of money for photo, nude photos or sex or something along those lines. He was drugged, strangled, assaulted, and then dismembered. Unfortunately, David's body was never found, but Jeffrey did admit to killing him. The only thing that they did find were pictures of his dismembered body and his family. <sighs> Unfortunately, had to identify him from those pictures. Oh, that's nasty. That it is so horrifying. I can't. I, I, I don't know what family member had to do that and my heart just goes out to them. I can't unsee that shit. God. And that's like the like one of the worst of the worst. I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Uh, sadly, David left behind a three-year-old child. On February 18th, 1991, 18-year-old Curtis Strotter had plans on becoming a model and finishing college. But while at the bus stop that day, he was approached by Jeffrey and offered $50 if he posed for nude photos. Curtis agreed and back at Jeffrey's apartment, he was drugged, strangled, assaulted, and dismembered. Now, this is very common, like offering the $50 in exchange for sex or photos. You know, I've said it a few times. Keep in mind that the $50 that you keep hearing that is being exchanged for sex or nude photos, back in 1986 to 1990 during the killing spree, $50 would be equivalent to $125 to $135 today. So just keep that in mind. A little math conversion. Substantial for one sexual encounter. I agreed. I, I I think so. I'm not a sex worker, but I think so. Especially if it's just photos. Like you just want photos of me. I'll snap yeah. a few and, you know, get my bag and move on. On September 7th, 1991, 19-year-old E-roll, I think is how you say it, Lindsay went out to make a copy of a key and it is believed that en route to the key shop, he met Jeffrey and was somehow enticed back to his apartment. At this point, Jeffrey wanted to try and keep his victims alive. So trigger warning, it's going to get a little graphic. Uh, so after he drugged Erol, uh, Jeffrey decided to do a very cruel lobotomy on him. So after drilling into his head, he injected him with muriatic acid. Jeffrey's hope, <laughs> he was trying to create a submissive zombie-like victim that couldn't fight him, but that would also not be dead. and. This was the way he went about trying to achieve that for some reason. Uh, it didn't work. I don't think any of us are shocked that that did not work. Um, in the middle of the lobotomy and the injection, Erol wakes up and started saying he had a horrible headache and asked what time it was. Jeffrey realizes, oh shit, this isn't working. So then he just strangled Erol. And of course, pictures, dismemberment, and so on. Lola's eyes just went like, oh my God. I feel, I feel so many it's things. It's so much. It's like, this is a real... This really happened is the thing. And like, it is quite possible 
at this very time, something similar is occurring. I know in that's some what, other place. Like that's what mind boggles me. There's other Jeffries, unfortunately. This is one reason why I don't watch any films that like have torture in them because yeah. like it is possible. If it's possible, I don't. Nope. I don't want it. Yeah. I know. Nope. I get that. No need. That. Mm. It's just so evil. It's so heartless. In it is. It really is. I can't. Rest mm-hmm. in peace. Yeah. To all of these victims. And we have more to go. On May 24th, 1991, 1991, sorry, 31-year-old deaf and mute Anthony Tony Hughes went back to Jeffrey's apartment after a night of dancing at a gay bar. Anthony was drugged, but again, Jeffrey tried to keep his victim alive. So he drilled a small hole into Anthony's skull and injected him with muriatic acid, but the injection ended up killing him. Anthony's remains were then photographed and dismembered like the others. Now it is pretty well reported that Anthony is the only victim that we know of that had some kind of relationship with Jeffrey before his murder. I think he knew him for a handful of weeks. His friend said that they did have sexual relations prior to this. So for some reason, he connected with Anthony and they hit it off and they had some kind of relationship. That's all I was kind of able to piece together. I know in the Dahmer Netflix series, from what I could tell, I've never watched it. I never will watch it. I don't like. I don't like where they. It feels like they've um, infantilized those stories more when it is like recreations instead of like actually telling the story. And they, I just think they do the story in an injustice. I think they in that show, from what I could tell um, online, they went into a lot of the story behind Anthony. And they kind of neglect a lot of the other victims. But yeah, he is the only one. I was going to say, I I did watch it and... You did? Okay. I'm learning more from you than what I learned from that. There is a lot that they left out of it. I did not watch it, so I can't. I can't. Which I understand if you only have like two and a half hours to put in all the information, Mm -hmm. it's going to be hard. But at the same time, uh, there's a bit of romanticizing the yes. villains. There always is in any serial killer like documentary or recreation. There's always going to, even if you, the producer, come into it and you're like, no, 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 that's not my, I don't care. It, every single one of them. Yeah, it's going to happen. And And the problem that I have with those is it becomes about making money off of the story itself and infantilizing it and portraying it in such a way that's going to make you more money and it does a disservice to the actual victims of the serial killer. It came out and I heard so many people, um, especially within the Black community, just being upset with how it was portrayed. Families of the victims coming out and speaking about it. And then I saw so many people fucking infantilizing the Jeffrey Dahmer character and making t-shirts and all this merch. And I was like, okay, I feel like that like completely takes away to, uh, from like what we actually need to learn and talk about. 
Put the victims just, on yeah. the t-shirts. Yeah, I know. Those I was are the like, ones can that we, can we not deserve to be uh, romanticized, if anything. If you're going to romanticize anybody, it should be and their lives. Exactly. And, I, and I'll get into this a little bit more in just a little bit because I will bring this back up. But let's keep going. The 13th victim. On May 27th, 1991, a 14-year-old, Conorak, I do not know how to say the last name. Um, I will post a picture, but I do not know how to say it. It's a Lohatian from Laos. They're from Laos. I don't know how to say it. I'm so sorry. Uh, He met Jeffrey in a mall where he was offered $50 if he posed for some nude photos. Conorak was desperate to earn money for his family, so he agreed. Now, Conorak and his family had lived in Laos and were rice farmers, but when the communist forces overthrew the country's monarchy, the government tried to seize their land. And at this point, the father was like, it's not safe to live here. We need to flee. So one night in March of 1979, he drugged his kids with, him and his wife drugged their kids with sleeping pills so that their cries would not attract the soldiers. They put them in canoes. They got in and they fled to Thailand. They stayed in Thailand at a refugee camp for about a year, and then they were relocated to Milwaukee in 1980. In Milwaukee, um, like many other refugees, they struggled to make a living, um, but they worked hard to just create a better and new life in America. Now, at the time, Jeffrey didn't know it, but we find out later on that Conorak is actually the younger brother of the 13-year-old Lahitian teen that Jeffrey drugged and tried to assault three years prior. But then he, you know, left and then Jeffrey was charged. So this is literally two brothers. When Jeffrey found this out later on, he said that it was, quote, incredible. What? <laughs> well, it was like, let me just wipe my face. I think I have, it's like, I think I have something to say, but no words. <laughs> no words are coming out. <laughs> I'm literally speechless. It really Over I the audacity, want- you fucking nimbit. Yep. yep. I have no words. None. Well, Conorak is desperate to help his family, like I said. So he agreed. Jeffrey took him back to his apartment where he drugged him. Jeffrey then drilled a hole into Conorak's skull about two to three inches and then injected muriatic acid. Now, do not ask me how this happened, but Jeffrey said that no blood or fluid came out when he drilled into the boy's skull. What? I... I, I have questions and no answers. And this, like when I get into the whole story in just a second, it's going to show that this is probably true, that there was no blood or fluid that came out. Uh, I need somebody in the science community to tell us how the fuck this happened. I've heard about this before, though, depending on where it is on the head. Really? I, I mean, because like... But wouldn't the skin itself bleed? Okay. Here's the thing. So I'm a cosmetologist, so I know about hair, skin, and nails. You do. I I know about all the layers of the skin. There is, obviously, he drilled past the point, he passed through the epidermis and the dermis, you know, Uh where blood supply is. However, skin... Skin varies in texture and with its like depth. Uh-huh. Uh, therefore, like blood supply can be lesser in some areas than others. 
Not to say it's ineffective blood supply. It's just like there may not be as much like blood supply needed. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Just to pay... So the best way... But as we're talking about it, I'm thinking he drilled it. And so I'm wondering if also the drill was cauterizing at the same time. That I was thinking about that too. Or like, so depending on whatever bit was used, the like uh, impressions it made in the bone yeah. may have just made a place for blood to travel. Like um, downward instead of out. I don't know if out. that's real. And I don't know how I thick either. a skull is. Yeah. Not sure. Either. So that could be possible. Questions. But like, what I'm thinking is like, if you cut my arm, it's going to bleed a good bit. If you cut my eyelid, it won't be as much blood. Okay. That makes sense. That's what I'm thinking. Just because like your, so your eye, well, not your eyelid, but like, you know, the side of your eye, like on the very outer part that's yes. near your temple, that's yeah. really thin skin. There's not a whole lot of blood vessels that are like traveling right Through there. That. Yeah. So if you nicked someone there, may not be as much blood as if you nicked them on, I don't know, yeah. their neck. <laughs> Something like that. So okay, that makes I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a doctor, but just for my cosmetology references of skin, that's what yeah. I'm assuming may have been the reason. Talking through it, I have less questions. It still shocks the shit out of me. Like that, it is that odd. It, there was it is like you literally drilled into his skull, and it's just weird. But we need a surgeon to immediately weigh in on this. Whoever is a surgeon, educate us right now. <laughs> I have questions. Um, so when uh, Conorak came to, he was very groggy, but he could still slightly function. So Jeffrey thought, oh my God, it works. Like I'm a, a submissive sex zombie. So since he believed that it worked, Jeffrey decided he was going to leave and go get some alcohol. But when he did, Conorak, <laughs> that motherfucker, he took his chance and he ran from the apartment and down the alley trying to escape. Now, a woman named Sandra Smith saw Conorak and called the police to report that uh, an Asian boy, he was Lohatian, I think is how you say it. He's not Asian, but that's what she thought. He was out in the street naked, injured, and incoherent. She could tell that he was covered in bruises and that he was even bleeding from his anus. He was so out of it, he couldn't stand or communicate clearly with anyone. Now, around the time that the police arrive and medical help arrive, so does Jeffrey. Now, there were also two black teen girls at the scene and they could tell that something was drastically wrong with Conorak. So they actually stood between him and Jeffrey in order to keep Jeffrey away from him. But Jeffrey told the police that he was just his 19-year-old gay lover and the police fucking believed him. So they actually sent the fucking medics away and were like, oh, he's probably drunk or on drugs. Like, just send the medics away. I mean, what? That, yeah. The logic, it's not here. The brain cells were not in use. Let's, let's play benefit of the doubt and just say, yeah, okay, maybe he is drunk or on drugs. Why the fuck are you sending medics away? He is naked in the middle of the street. It is clearly not okay. He needs to be seen. He, if he's on drugs, he, he's, what? 
He should be I assessed by some type of medical professional. Medical professional, exactly, exactly. But no, they just send the medics away. And the whole time, the two teen girls were protesting and trying so hard to advocate for Conorac. But the police just told them to, quote, shut the hell up, end quote. And they even threatened to arrest them. And so Jeffrey was the white man. And he was in a very poor black community. So, of course, the police believed him. And not only did they believe him, but they escorted Jeffrey and the boy back to Jeffrey's apartment and never even took the names of the two black teens that were on scene advocating for Conorac. When they got back to Jeffrey's apartment, Jeffrey showed them photos that he had taken of Conorac. And that was enough to convince them that, yes, they were just a gay couple having a squabble and that Conorac was probably just on some drugs or drunk. And after that, they left. They didn't even search around the fucking apartment. If they had gone into the bedroom, they would have seen Anthony Hughes' dead body laying on the fucking bed. Why didn't they smell anything weird? Is my thing. I'm sure it stunk in there. One officer said he smelled something kind of weird. And then one officer was like, I didn't smell anything. Bullshit. Bull fucking shit. You didn't smell anything. And you know why I think they're lying out their motherfucking asses is because when they left, they called back to the station to like report in. And they said they were like, heard laughing on the radio and they even made jokes about needing to go get de-loused after leaving the scene. Motherfucker, you smell some. You just try and cover your own ass, you bitch. Now, after the police left, Jeffrey injected more muriatic acid into Cronorak's brain, which killed him. When the teen girls got home, they told their mom and aunt, so they were cousins, So they told the mom about what had happened. The adult then called the police and asked what happened and if the boy was okay. They told her that it was just a drunk, gay, squabble couple situation and they'd handled it. She asked how the boy was and the cop corrected her and said it wasn't a boy, it was a man, he was an adult. And she said, are you sure? And he said, quote, ma'am, I can't make it any more clear. It's all taken care of, end quote. Yeah, it's taken care of. Conrad's fucking dead at this point, you dumb bitch. Sorry. God. Oh, no, I, so fucking mad researching this. I wanted to punch a fucking wall every time. Yeah, it's. I feel like you'd be able to tell that's not a nineteen-year-old. He was fourteen. You know, I, no. like I know fourteen-year-olds. They can be tall. They can be, you know. But yeah, but you can still clearly tell. You can tell. You can tell. I think. Did they not interview him to see if he was coherent? It's just. Oh, it was clear to everybody that he wasn't coherent. It, uh, he, Yeah, he wasn't coherent. I, I think that what happened was the cops were grossed out by the gay couple, grossed out by the gay naked boy in the street. And so they just wanted to handle the situation as quickly as possible with as little amount as of paperwork as possible. So they just sent them back and were very much, you know, like homophobia and racism playing at hand because they were not even listening to the two black teen girls. They were only listening to the Jeffrey, who was the only white man fucking there besides them. I I think they were just fucking homophobic and didn't want to deal with it and just... 
sent them back. Excellent job to those girls. Excellent I effort. No, they amazing, amazing. Those are the real you heroes. Tried. I can't imagine the trauma that they have endured knowing <sighs> what happened to this kid and knowing that they tried. And I can't imagine the anger that they probably still feel to this day because like I'm fucking angry. So I can't imagine what their anger is like yeah. being somebody on scene that saw Conorak and how he was. Now, the police do say that like um, they were just trying to respect the gay community and like they were trying to not have a straight bias. Fuck you. No, you weren't. You were homophobic. You were racist. And I will go to my grave believing that. Now, of course, when all of this came to light after Jeffrey's arrest, the public, they were fucking outraged, which rightfully so. I And I am too. Two of the officers that were there that night were were put on paid leave and then later fired, but they both appealed their terminations with a judge and won. They were reinstated in June of 1994 with back pay. Not surprised about that. No, not at all. When they were put on paid leave, many white people came out in support of the officers, you know. <laughs> Back the blue. God damn it. Was he, was Jeffrey still not religious at this point? At this point? Yeah, no, he had gone the other in, the other side of the spectrum. He was like, I am. He was still on that path of like, mm-hmm. I'm evil. Yep. Going with I'm it. evil. Just going with okay. it. He had embraced all of his desires and believed it was the devil that had given him this mission. And he was like, all right, cool. I'm going to do it. Nope, he's still on that one. Now, on June 30th of 1991, 20-year-old Matt Turner, who had aspirations to be a model, met Jeffrey in Chicago at a bus station. Jeffrey had traveled to Chicago to go to the Gay Pride Parade, but at the bus station, he somehow was able to lure Matt back to Milwaukee with him at his apartment Matt was drugged, strangled, and dismembered. He was Jeffrey's 14th victim. On July 5th, 1991, mind you, this is like a week fucking later, 23-year-old Jeremiah Weinberg met Jeffrey in a bar in Chicago and they took a Greyhound bus back to Milwaukee for a fun weekend getaway. The first night together, they had oral sex, but the second night when he wanted to leave, Jeffrey couldn't have it, so he drugged him and then drilled a hole into his head. Uh, this time, he was like, muriatic acid's not working, so he he poured boiling water into Jeremiah's skull. Jeremiah regained consciousness, but was groggy. Jeffrey then drugged him again. Unfortunately, Jeremiah struggled for his life for one to two days before slipping into a coma. Jeffrey then saw this as a failure, so he strangled Jeremiah, uh, we can assume, again, assaulted, photographed, and dismembered. <laughs> well, it's like, I just have no words. I it's can't. Just, it's just grim. It's the whole it's thing. So, is just... it's, so, it's so bad. So bad. Now, like I said earlier, like there, it was only one week in between those last two murders, and I think it's really important to note that like his cooling off period is drastically getting shorter. His addiction to killing has gotten so out of control that Jeffrey has now become very sloppy. Many times he would still have bodies in the house needing to be dismembered and disposed of when he was bringing home his next victim. At one point, Jeffrey said that he was actually showering with two partially dismembered bodies in the tub with him. I, what? His, not only was his murdering, 
also increasing, but his necrophilia was also escalating. He said that when he would open up the bodies and pull out the insides, he would have sex with the insides. (laughs) The bar is low. I mean, it is, I can't see it. It's so low. It is in hell. The devil himself is fucking grossed out. I'm sorry. The devil himself is like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't put my name on that, bitch. (sighs) Also, at this point, he started eating his victims and drinking their blood. He actually said that he started to think that if he could consume them, he would somehow become one with his victim. And after he was caught, he estimated that he ate around 10 pounds of human meat. That's real nasty. Can you not do that ever again? That'd be great. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I have heard over the years that Jeffrey Dahmer said that he had tried tattooed skin, um, but that the ink made it taste bad. And so many people are like, save yourself from cannibals, get tattooed more. Um, I could not verify this in my research. Research. I'm not saying that it's not out there. I'm not saying he didn't say that. I just could not verify it. But either way, I will gladly use it as an excuse to go get We're more safe. Tattoos. We're safe. <laughs> We're safe. We will, I will tattoo every inch of my body. God damn it. <sighs> now, that was the 15th victim. Uh, but we have two more. On July 15th, 1991, 23-year-old... Oliver Lacey was an aspiring bodybuilder when he met Jeffrey. Jeffrey claimed to be a professional photographer and he convinced Oliver to come back to his apartment so he could take photos of him for his bodybuilding endeavors. Back at the apartment, Oliver was drugged, strangled, assaulted, and dismembered. After the dismemberment, Jeffrey kept Oliver's head and heart in his refrigerator and his skeleton in a freezer. Sadly, Oliver left behind a two-year-old child and was engaged to be married at the time of his death. On July 19, 1991, 25-year-old Joseph Brad- Bradhoft left for an interview but was never heard from again. Joseph had moved from Milwaukee or moved to Milwaukee to look for work and he had left his wife and three kids ages two to seven back in Minnesota. In Milwaukee, he was staying with his brother. But when he left that day to go to his interview, I think he ended up meeting Jeffrey at a bus stop and somehow he was lured back to his apartment. Um, actually, not somehow. He was lured back because he Jeffrey offered him $50 if he posed for nude photos. I think we can all assume that he was desperate to send money back home to his family. So he said yes and he went back to Jeffrey's apartment. Back at his apartment, he was drugged, strangled, assaulted, and dismembered. Many of Joseph's body parts were then put into Jeffrey's freezer. That Joseph was actually the 17th victim. So we are done with Jeffrey's murders. Thank God. And now we're going to get on to how he was captured. Yes. On July 22nd, I know, thank thank the heavens that I don't believe it. (laughs) On July 22nd, 1991, 32-year-old Tracy Edwards met Jeffrey at a bar Now, there are conflicting stories on why or how Tracy was lured back to Jeffrey's apartment with him. I watched an interview that Tracy gave and he said that uh, Jeffrey had offered to like buy beer and go pick up chicks. I've also read other places that he was lured back to take like photos to post for nude photos. But he has been very adamant in his story and in his, you know, 
tellings and interviews over the years that um, he is straight and that he was not going to post for photos. Honestly, it doesn't fucking matter if he was going to do that or not, or if he was gay or not, he was a victim. And it, if he's lying, it doesn't fucking matter and just let him lie and live his life. It like We should not pick that apart. So, because I know people are going to be like, well, we just don't know. We get it. It doesn't matter. That's besides the point. So when Tracy gets back to Jeffrey's apartment, he noticed that he had about eight locks on the front door and there was a horrible smell protruding from his home. (laughs) Gee, I wonder why. Well, as he walked around, he noticed that there were alarms on every door and window. And when they went in, Jeffrey made Tracy a rum and coke. And he started to sip it, but quickly started to feel nauseous. And so he stopped drinking it. He was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no to that. As he's sitting there drinking and sipping on, or started to sip on that, he ends up seeing like a big container of muriatic acid. And he asks Jeffrey about it. And Jeffrey's like, oh, I use it to clean concrete. He's like, okay, that's not weird. He also starts to see like many like athletic posters around the apartment. So think like, men without shirts on and torsos because we know Jeffrey's got a thing for torsos. So that tracks. Now, as they were sitting there talking, Jeffrey quickly leaned over and handcuffed Tracy's wrist and pulled a machete out and put it against Tracy's heart. Jeffrey told him that he was skilled and to do what he said. Now, at first he tells Jeffrey, like, I'm just going to take nude photos of you. So like, that's all I want. But then he started getting really weird and he ends up leading... Tracy over to his refrigerator and makes Tracy open it in the pretense of like, I'm, you know, getting another beer or I'm going to have you get another beer. But when Tracy opens the fridge, he sees skulls, a heart and a liver. And as he stood there staring at what most likely was fucking terrifying, I'm assuming, Jeffrey leaned over and said, that's beautiful, isn't it? Under no circumstances (laughs) should we open the fridge at a stranger's home. Don't. Like, okay, he had a machete to his heart. So like, I can understand why he opened it. But like, Jeffrey, why you gotta be creepy? You're already creepy as fuck. And now you're gonna be like, isn't it beautiful? No, motherfucker. It's somebody's heart I'm looking at. It's not, it's not pretty. It's not beautiful. Just imagine if Jeffrey had become an old man. (laughs) Isn't it beautiful? (laughs) Fucking die, you asshole rat bag. I know, I know. Oh, wait, he already died. Ha, ha, ha. He did die. He's, he's dead. Oh, okay. So as he's leading Tracy uh, to the bedroom, he told him how pretty he was and said that his skull would also be very pretty. as like a decoration. <laughs> yeah. In the bedroom, Tracy saw bones from a skeleton and Jeffrey showed him pictures of a mutilated and dismembered body. As he is showing Tracy the pictures, he tells him that he will eventually permanently be part of Jeffrey when Jeffrey eats Tracy's heart. I would shit myself. Guys, I get anxious. I get the anxious poops. If I get anxiety within five minutes, I'm in the bathroom. Okay. So like I would shit all over Dahmer's house everywhere. It'd be disgusting. Listen, <laughs> one, one good thing that I learned from my biological mom was she told me if you are ever being held against your will, piss and shit on yourself. Thousand percent. Make yourself as unappealing as possible. Mm-hmm. Fight them off. Go out fighting. 
Oh yeah, I will. I will shit all over myself, and it will not be on purpose. I it will be uncontrollable diarrhea. Like when I tell oh, you, yeah. I just, <laughs> she said, "My butthole will not cringe. It will no. open." <laughs> open the <laughs> I hate that. I hate that this I is happening right now. I just triggered like <laughs> so many people. Uh, my my husband has made jokes and been like, "You will never be kidnapped because if you are ever kidnapped, they will dump your ass within like a mile." <laughs> Uh, like, anxious yeah, I got poops that. are not to be trifled with I tell you no do not mess with anxious poops so don't kidnap me <laughs> it's a PSA for lazy <laughs> right I should get a shirt don't kidnap me or forget myself <laughs> I will no it should just say don't worry I will shit myself <laughs> that's it no that's other it. pretense to it no pretense <laughs> Oh my God, I can't breathe. Okay. Now, Tracy is terrified and not sure what to do next. So he asked Jeffrey for another beer and if they could just sit in the front room while drinking it. I think he was just trying to like bide some time, basically. Now, as they're sitting there in the front room, Tracy noticed that Jeffrey went into some kind of like trance. And so Tracy gets up and says, I gotta use the bathroom. But right as he stands up, he punches Jeffrey in the face and before Jeffrey can react Tracy like fucking kicks him in the face like I'm trying to imagine him just like roundhouse kicking this motherfucker like go Tracy you want a roundhouse kick to the face in these pants and these bad boys Uh, and he did and he so he kicks in the face he runs off to the door and he unlocks it thankfully I don't know how or why but there was only like one lock pause what a flex to have been the survivor that's Dude. like, yeah, I that's Dahmer. I fuck around I and find did, out, bitch. Yeah. Not only did I death Go him, but I also kicked him. Also, it gets better. It gets better. Okay, so he's able to unlock the door. I think there's like only one lock and somehow he was able to get it. Because remember, there's eight locks on this door. And that motherfucker starts running out. But as he's unlocking the door out of the corner of his eye. He sees Jeffrey coming at him, swinging a blade at his head. So he quickly turns around and kicks Jeffrey in the nuts before running off and out of the apartment building. (laughs) Tracy, you are my hero. You're Wea's hero. You're everyone's hero. Wea's like, get it, Tracy. She sat up. She was dead ass asleep just then. She was snoozing and she just said, what? Do what She needed to give her praises. So he has punched Jeffrey in the face, kicked Jeffrey in the face, and kicked him in the nuts. I mean, go Tracy. Unfortunately, well, he does survive, but unfortunately, his trauma is not over. He's going to endure more trauma because cops are fucking stupid, okay? So after he leaves the apartment building, he runs just about a half a block before he sees cops and approaches them and stops them, and he tries to tell them what was going on, what he just encountered, and why he had a fucking handcuff on his wrist because he still had the handcuffs on. Now, at first, the cops were ridiculing Tracy and making fun of him, and they actually escorted Tracy back to Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment complex and stayed down in the lobby and told Tracy to go back up to the apartment and make Jeffrey take the handcuffs off him. What? I need the names of the officers. I mean, can we punch And I need to ridicule them for not 
noticing the signs of a serial killer. Ah, uh, it's seriously. I mean, come on. I need to ridicule them. This is where bullying matters. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't bully anyone. I but mean, let me just say, I, mm. with the greatest fucking, with all due disrespect, fuck you. <laughs> yes. A, a, with a hot poker and a cactus. Yeah. I come Correct. On. So, Tracy does what the cops are saying and goes back up to Jeffrey's apartment. Ah, yeah, terrified. I can't believe that he was able to do this. Like, I would have shit myself. I, I'm like, what? I did watch an interview where this fucking white chick was like, now I have to ask, why did you go back up to the apartment? And if it was me, I would have let the cops arrest me. Well, bitch, you're fucking white and the cops would arrest you. But Tracy was black and he might have fucking died. So it was like, be shot by cops by resisting or not doing what they're telling me to or go back up and get murdered by Jeffrey Dahmer. He kind of didn't have a choice. Death was his only option, probably. I, that's my opinion. But anyway. I also need the name of that bitch. I know. And she was young. And, and I, with all due disrespect, fuck you too. In that interview, I was like, shut the fuck up. And he, he was so calm in his response. And he was like, you know, I was taught to respect police and... You know, so I was just doing what they told me to. And I was like, that white bitch can shut the fuck up. And I can say that because I am palm colored. Okay. Anyways. So he goes back up to Jeffrey's apartment. He knocks on the door. Jeffrey answers. And he tries to get Jeffrey to take the handcuffs off. But Jeffrey's like, hey, come on in. Come on in, kids. I got popsicle for you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you know that? <laughs> it was the creepy old man voice for me. Now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why. I did. <laughs> My husband is so good at that voice and it creeps me the fuck out and I hate it. And I was like, please don't make that noise. And so it's just like, come inside. It made me think of the old man. Okay, so Jeffrey's trying to get him to come inside. And he's like, if I go in there, I'm going to get murdered. So he runs off uh, back to the cops. He's like, I can't go back in there. He's going to murder me. He's refusing to take the cops, cups, cu cuffs off unless I go back in. So the cops are like, okay, fine, we'll go back up with you. And they're grumbling the whole way up, I'm sure. So they go inside the apartment and they ask Jeffrey. One of the cops is like, are you some kind of freak? And Jeffrey's like, yeah. <laughs> and then they ask him where are the handcuffs or where are the keys to the handcuffs. And Jeffrey says they're in the bedroom. And one of the cops starts to head towards the bedroom. But Jeffrey starts to get like very aggressive and angry. And so the other cop pins Jeffrey to the floor. And when the other cop goes in the bedroom to try to retrieve the handcuffs, uh, keys to the handcuffs, he comes across pictures of dead and dismembered bodies and quickly realizes, holy shit, I think this is real. So he comes back out and shows the pictures to the other cop. And Jeffrey makes the comment uh, while he's pinned to the ground, shoot me now for what I did. And so... Jeffrey's taken into custody. The cops are like, before he's taken into custody, they're starting to look around the apartment. And the cop goes over and opens up Jeffrey's refrigerator and just instantly starts throwing up because he sees body parts just chilling in the fridge. Now, was that a, was that a joke? Chilling in the fridge? 
Oh my God, no pun intended, but they were just chilling in the fridge. I didn't mean to do that, but you know, hey. I mean, funny clinky dink. It worked out. Valid. Valid. Now, Jeffrey is taken into custody and they start searching the apartment. They end up finding 11 skulls, decomposing hands hanging in the closet, three fully intact skeleton remains a large plastic blue container. I think that was like full of muriatic acid. Uh, Jars with preserved genitals in them. Different body parts in the fridge and freezer. Many photographs of nude men and dismembered bodies. When Jeffrey was interrogated, he agreed to talk and every day that he was interviewed, he signed a waiver. He never tried to deny his crimes and actually gave a very full detailed confession. He said that he wanted to end up making an altar with his victim's skulls, and he hoped that it would be, quote, a place where I could feel at home. I think he's at home now. <laughs> I I just... I Jurassic think death Park. really was the only safe place for him. It really end. was. It really was. For this man, absolutely. Uh, Now, it is important to note that Jeffrey's victims were mostly men of color. The only two that were white were his first and second victims. After that, it was all people of color, and a huge portion of those victims were also gay. In my opinion, this was very strategic by Jeffrey, buying, you know, getting his apartment in a low-income, predominantly African-American neighborhood, um, and targeting gay men, and just, you know, which he was gay himself. But I think it was pretty strategic, especially being in that... uh, low-income African-American community. Now, it wasn't like these men just went up and missing and nobody cared about them. They were reported missing, most of them, if not all of them, time and time again. But there was either no leads or what was under-investigated. Also, the gay community during this time was going through um, the AIDS epidemic. And so gay men were dying and getting sick from AIDS. Um, And so when one of these gay men who were going to the bar and the gay community knew them and then they just stopped showing up. They assumed that they either got sick or died from AIDS. Jeffrey's trial started on January 20th, 1992. And due to the fact that most of his victims were people of color, the racial tensions were high in and out of the courtroom. Now, due to the public's justifiable uh, outrage, they decided to implement an extra measure of security by installing an eight-foot barrier of bulletproof glass between Jeffrey and the gallery during his trial. Trial. Now, I just want to ask, why? Why did they feel that this was a need? Because to me, this feels very fucking racist because uh, BTK killed 10 people and taunted the police and the public with his crimes for decades. And yet when he went to trial, there was no extra measures of security. And what about the Green River Killer? Also, it was not something, and he killed away more people than Jeffrey Dahmer did. So I just have to be like, okay, is it just because Jeffrey killed a lot of Black people and there was a lot of Black outrage for how the cops handled this? And so... That does seem thought, kind of pointed. It just, it, it does to me. I'm like, okay, so you thought some Black vigilante was going to come in shooting up the trial, but didn't expect or suspect a white guy to come in shooting up the courtroom for white serial killers. I'm just, yeah. I mean, when we do these deep dives into these serial killers, I'm just like, okay, there was a clear differentiation between many of these. And I'm sorry, but racism has to play a part. I don't, nobody will ever be able to convince me otherwise. 
Also, it's uh, there was only one black person on the jury of his trial. So, shocked, not shocked. Now, Jeffrey's father, Lionel, and his stepmother attended the trial. Um, I will post this picture over on Instagram, but I did find a picture of Lionel and the stepmother posing together outside the prison where Jeffrey was held, and they're smiling. And it's super fucking weird. And I have questions, and I could not find answers to why they took this picture, and they thought that this picture was a good idea. But it seems very fucking weird. I don't know. Were they happy? They're smiling. They're just like, like they could be standing outside of fucking Disney. And I'm like, oh, okay. Ah, what? I, okay. I don't, I can't. Like, you can't make this shit up, guys. You can't. Anyways, back to the trial. Um, Jeffrey pled not guilty, even with his confession, but eventually he changed his plea to guilty by the means of insanity. The jury all agreed that Jeffrey was fully aware of his acts and knew what he was doing was not just wrong, but very evil. So on February 15th, 1992, after only 10 hours of deliberation, I say only very sar- like sarcastically because I'm sorry, 10 hours. You should have taken 30 goddamn minutes. I'm sorry. End of discussion. In my opinion, I don't know anything about court, so take it out with a grain of salt. <laughs> he was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms in prison, and I found that for some reason... They tacked on a 16th term later that year in May. I don't know why, but he was never getting out. So after the trials, like this is pretty normal for the estate of perpetrators to be sold off and then the money goes to the families of the victims. But Jeffrey didn't have anything worth valuable. So the city decided to hold an auction for Dahmer's murder weapons and belongings. I know, super fucking cringe. I was like, what the fuck? But thankfully... A, an affluent man in Milwaukee was able to get other affluent people to chip in and they were able to buy the lot for $400,000, which would be about $875,000-ish today. After they purchased the items, they had the items transported in an unmarked vehicle to an undisclosed landfill in Illinois where they were disposed of, which I'm sorry, I think that was like the perfect thing to do. I understand trying I to give money to the victims, but... I just feel like there would have been a better way, but I'm glad it was disposed of. I agree too. That was... Unfortunately, not all of his stuff was disposed of because I was... I was going to say, there's stuff of his in in a museum. I was able to find through my research, I stumbled upon cult and murder memorabilia. Why Uh this is a thing, I don't fucking know. People get better fucking idols like Bailey Sarian says. I. It was so fucking gross. They were selling for $1,000. You could buy a letter from one of Dahmer's crazy fucking fans that would like send him letters while he was in prison. $1,000. And you just got some random letter some fucking psychotic woman sent him. Ooh. Yeah. And these were letters from women being like, I can make you straight. You just need a good woman. Oh, shut the fuck up, Betty. Oof. Oh my God. You, you need a Trying to lose a battle. Yeah. Uh, And then I also found that uh, he was also selling letters that Dahmer wrote himself. And those were priced at only $5,000 to $20,000, depending on the length of the letter. I'm sorry, who who the fuck is spending $5,000 to $20,000 on a Jeffrey Dahmer letter? Why do you want that? I just... Okay, guys, come on. Stop it. You could buy a house or a car. You could could buy a car. You could buy... 
couple cars with that. Not new, but you can buy a couple cars with that. Stop it. Don't buy these goddamn letters, you idiot. Anyways, I just had to get that out because it was so frustrating to me. I don't get it. I don't like it. I think it's gross. But uh, let's end this on Jeffrey's life in prison. Um, He ended up going to Columbia Correctional Institution in South Central Wisconsin. It was stated that he adjusted well to life in prison. And at first, he was kept apart from the general population. But eventually, he talked the authorities into letting him move to Gin Pop, which this is going to come back and bite him in the ass very quickly. So this is the part that Christians get stuck on because during Jeffrey's time in prison, he comes to know Jesus and he finds religion. He even gets baptized by a local pastor, preacher, whoever. Um, and so people are like, oh my God, he gets to go to heaven. It's wonderful. Completely negating the fact that like he grew up Christian. He knew the Bible. He spent time going to church. He studied the Bible. He literally tried for years to ungay to, himself, to ungay himself, to undo these sadistic desires he had. So it's like, okay, I have to ask if Jeffrey Dahmer was a Christian growing up, then why didn't God stop him from having these urges or these desires? And I know many are going to be like, well, he didn't really come to know Jesus until he was in prison. Okay. How do you fucking know that? He was in prison. And we find out later on that he would take his fucking prison food and like fashion it into like limbs, like dismembered body parts, and then taunt the other inmates with it. That's weird. That does not scream, I have come to know Jesus. Right? I can't. That's weird. Why would you? Scrawny little, scrawny little dude in prison. Don't do that. What's wrong with you? Don't do that. Don't, don't do it. But it's okay. It bites him in the ass. And we like that. Oh, no. They took care of it. They did. They took care of it. So... Jeffrey made it about two and a half years in prison. And then on November 28th, 1994, he was killed by another fellow um, inmate named Christopher Scarver. There are conflicting reasons why Christopher murdered Jeffrey, but a prison guard said that Christopher suffered from schizophrenia and later told the guard that, quote, God told him to do it. But also Christopher came out in 2015 and spoke to the New York Post and said that he was always disturbed by Jeffrey's crimes and he didn't like that Jeffrey would fashion separate limbs using his prison food and then use it to, you know, antagonize and taunt the other inmates. He also goes on to say that when him, Jeffrey, and another inmate, Jesse Anderson, were left alone, he was taunted by both the men and he ended up confronting Jeffrey about his crimes and for some reason just snapped and he beat both of them to death with a metal bar from the prison weight room. Do you remember how Jeffrey's first victim was murdered? I was going to say, we just came full circle for you, Jeff boy. I, I literally have that in my notes. Talk about coming full circle. I'm like, that's a little, like, that's a little poetic. I have to admit. I'd I'm say like, it's a little, more than a little. Yeah. I kind of love that for him. I'm just going to say, do, do I love murder? No, but for Jeffrey Marr. The Jesus of the day would have to be that man. I Right. Like, I, I don't really know about his other crimes. I think he would murdered other people. So like, don't go do that. But never mind. You're not Jesus. Like, thank you for taking out Dahmer because like, I don't... The vigilante of the day. Yeah, <laughs> I can say that. I know Love people that. are going to be like, don't, don't um, advocate murder. We're not advocating murder. We're just advocating Jeffrey Dahmer not being on this planet anymore because I'm sorry, this man, I can't. I can't. These crimes were horrible. These were awful. 
The fact is he probably never could have been rehabilitated even if prison was structured where... No. Not to say he deserved to die because nobody deserves to have their life taken, but at the same time, it's an ethical dilemma that all of us have to grapple with that, you know, if you... Well, with the U.S., really, U.S. prison systems. Yeah, and what... He's in prison with other men. His victims were men. Like, who's to say that eventually he wouldn't have ended up murdering other inmates? And not everybody that's in prison is a murderer, pedophile, you know. He should have never person. gone to Gen Pop. He, he should have never met. gone to Gen Pop. That, that was, that's no. mad weird that they, like, were convinced to let him in. Maybe it was, like, part of them thinking, you know what? Someone will kill him kind of thing. I like, maybe it. that was in the back of their mind because... Too often that does happen in prison. Yeah. But, but he advocated. Like he was the one that asked, like, let me go to Gen Pop. And he would say, I think he, yeah, he was the one that said it was like miserable and and solitary. Oh, I'm so sorry. Cry me a fucking river. No, the shoe is miserable because you literally have nothing and no one except mm-hmm. like the person that hands you your food. Yeah. Twice a day, three times a I, day, whatever. Yeah. I can't. Now I want to end with, uh, the his homes. I thought I found this interesting. Dahmer's childhood home in Bath, Ohio, which is where he killed his very first victim when he was 18. It was put on the market in 2012. Uh, the owner, a man named Chris Butler, said that it would make a great home as long as you could, quote, get past the horror factor. I'm sorry, but I had to laugh at that. Like, dude, are you serious? You're literally trying to be like, it's just get over the fact that Jeffrey Dahmer started his murder spree in this home. It's a weird, weird selling point. Not haunted at fucking all. No. Uh-huh. 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 Now the house was removed from the market because nobody wanted to buy it. Shocker. <laughs> and it uh-huh. is believed to still be owned by him. Now, because the house was sold, the sold, I think he had bought it uh, before Jeffrey was caught. So I think it was sold in between his spree sometimes. So I think they, like his family has owned it since then. Uh, and so they're, they're stuck with it. Like I don't, he ain't never going to get rid of that home. Wow. Uh, the grandma's home is still there and it is used as a family home. Uh, Dahmer's apartment was torn down in November, 1992. And it is a vacant lot even to today. And that is the sadistic, horrible, gross, graphic story of Jeffrey Dahmer the wannabe Christian who is no, no. That's all I got to say. You just said no. It's just <laughs> no. I just, I, I've lost it's a all no my for words. me, dog. It's a no for me. You can go sit the fuck down and no. I can't, I can't get on the boat of like, Jeffrey Dahmer found Jesus at present. No, he didn't. Okay. No, he didn't. I'm sorry. Not sorry. There are so many Christian blogs that I've read over the past couple of years. Like, what I mean by Christian blogs is like actual church blogs, mm-hmm. like that are affiliated with specific churches. It's like leadership writing about like how how is this possible that he's redeemed? Well, here's all the reasons. How is it possible that I'll see him in heaven? Here's all the reasons. And it's like, why is this the thing you have to talk about? Why can't you talk about like? Something more productive, like paying off school lunches for kids in your community. I'm like, do we really want? Like, <laughs> I can't. I, uh, I can't. I can't. 
I want, I don't believe in hell, but I want to believe in hell. I want, I want to believe that Jeffrey Dahmer is just eternally being tormented with hellfire. Like I, I just want to believe that he'll never be reincarnated. Yes. Oh God. Oh Jesus. Oh fuck. Yeah. No, he can't. No. Cause like, nope. A person like that, I'm a person that believes in reincarnation. And if you haven't ever done a past life meditation and you're listening to this, it's worth a try, maybe. If you're interested, I have not dug into uh, reincarnation or learning about it, but I'm not opposed to it. But I I don't know a lot about it. I died in 1920. Shut your damn face. No, you didn't. Yeah, I think 1922. I was a factory worker. No, you weren't. Okay, hold on. We had to do an episode on this because I am so intrigued and I want you to tell the story. I don't know a whole, whole lot, but I met someone. Honestly, it's a really short story. A couple of years ago, I met a a woman. Her name was Rain. I met her at a water park or something and I wouldn't Uh get in the water. And I felt the urge to talk to her like majorly when I saw her. And yeah. she was like, oh, I know you. And I was like, I think I know you, but I don't know you now kind of thing. And she was like, have you ever done a past life meditation? And she was like, here's my number. Try out a past life meditation. Tell me if you get anything. Get back with me. I got back with her afterward. We had worked together and we had died 10 years apart, but we worked no. together in a factory and... um we had been good friends in a past life and I died by water. And that is why I don't go in water. I don't really like water to this day. That is, I have, I've heard stories of other like little kids that y- you can't make this shit up. You know, yeah. like they're oh, telling no, their yeah. past life story and you're like, what the fuck? And so it's one of those things that like, I don't understand it, but I don't need to understand it to say it's true or say it's not true, like I can hold space for that is valid for that person. And that's okay. Oh, yeah. I don't know it and I don't understand it. And I think it's so fucking cool though. Like, But just to circle back, uh, as a person that believes in reincarnation, every time that you like reincarnate, it's mm-hmm. for the purpose of leveling up. Once you are done leveling up, you no longer have to reincarnate unless you want to. You like, mm. you have a soul choice kind of thing. Oh. But um, I mean, you can choose to never level up if you choose that route. But like, I knew I wasn't done. Um, I actually think I'll probably have one more life. And then I think maybe I'll be done. I, I don't know. Be, I think I'm going to end up like deep diving into it and hyper fixating because now I want to learn more about it. But basically, are you saying that like you hope that Jeffrey never reincarnates? Is basically. I'm hoping that he never does. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like he wanted to. He's so like... Uh, the theme of death was so like prominent with him. Yeah. And you just don't see that as a person that wants to pursue higher enlightenment or a higher frequencies in their life, a higher love. So I don't feel like his soul would choose to reincarnate, but I hope Mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen. Even if he doesn't get the choice, if it's like the great cosmos, the mother, whatever that's in charge of it. If you know about your like past life uh, when choosing to reincarnate, then I don't think that he would because he struggled so much with his desires and he knew that they were wrong, but he couldn't fight them. And he just... So I, I can't see him being like, 
yeah, let me go through that again. Or like maybe that would be a possibility again and I don't even want to chance it. I could be wrong. I have no idea. I hope not. Because I think I think some of the primal urges of like, I don't think cannibalism is an urge, but if it is one and that's like within him or like the urge to dis, dismember and all these horrific mutilations to the human form, like I just hope he doesn't come back because I feel like those maybe he couldn't set aside. Yeah. I don't I know. See, I can't see Mother Nature, God, the universe being like, yeah, we're going to give you another chance. <laughs> but you know what? I believe that some people that are horrific did have past lives. Yeah. And may possibly have other ones in the future. Like, yeah. I kind of believe that about Ted Bundy. Oh. Just because... And think of it this way. You know people like Bundy. You do. You know people that are narcissistic, that are charmers, that are snakes, that are violent and secret, that keep close personal connections, that know how to manipulate you, yet you still are drawn to them. Yeah. You know people like that. Whoever's out there listening, you know too. You know, like, and because that personality trait is just kind of, I don't want to say common, but you do see it throughout your lifetime. That may mean there are other people that are still trying to level out of that yeah. place. Yeah. Not to say the way that Bundy did it was right or anything, but because I don't think that he leveled up. I think he oh, leveled down. No. I think he, <laughs> I don't know right. what he did, but right. he didn't move in a, a better way. No. So, but I think that about like the common just like different mindsets or like different types of people I meet and the, their like outlook on themselves and on others. And I just think like, okay, you probably are not done because you're a very common type mm-hmm. of whatever. Yeah. I could be wrong about this. I could be talking like out of my ass, but right. this is just something I've been interested in the last couple of years. And yeah. since doing the I only did two meditations on it. Yeah. I could probably delve back into other lives or like more information about that one back in uh late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, but I just haven't had that much interest in it. I don't really know if those things will serve me right now. Right now in your neck. So, right. Right. I and that's valid. And that I just I just hope he's done forever and not reincarnated if that is a thing. Yeah, bottom line, I hope he never comes back in any way, shape, form. Maybe as a dung beetle. There we go. Yes. That would be okay. the shit for the rest of his life and eat it because that's what he deserves. If if I'm wrong and, you know, heaven is real and Jesus is real and everything, I, I hope Jeffrey is not there. Sorry, I don't want to spend time with him. And that's also a lot to me for me because I'm like a universalist. Like I believe everybody goes to heaven and there's, you know, so it's like kind of speaking to the choir, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's Jeffrey Downer for you guys. We This is a long one. No, yeah. I, I think most good good people like you also understand like the weird disconnect with like wanting to believe everyone is good, but at yeah. the same time seeing a pure evil that's like cannot be penetrated by light. Yeah, at all. It seems. Uh, I can't imagine just spending like the my afterlife, like whatever that is, with people like that in the same atmosphere. It's like you don't deserve any of this shit. Like just rotten. Don't count me yet. Good. I'm yeah. good. <laughs> I'm good. Count me out. Right. 
Oh, well, this is a long one for you guys. We've really like ended spooky season on a big note for you guys. Uh, we're going to skip the palate cleanser. Go cuddle your kittens. Go watch some TV. Watch some Big Bang Theory, some Bob's Burgers and eat a big old pile of cookies. <laughs> watch, the, watch the Bob's Burgers link that yeah. we'll have attached because that will give you a good laugh. How about we will that? link it in our Instagram and, or, or in our show notes. So yes. Uh, anyways. That is all for this week. We will see you guys next time. Actually, we won't see you. We'll hear you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Also, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on. And remember to bring your sacrifice to the blood ritual. Just kidding. A review will suffice. Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network. It's produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Cowell. Thanks for listening.